to remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's uh, scripture reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 11, and I will uh, start in verse 1. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, son of Reuben, how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, church. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you, Jeff, uh, for reading that. And I also wanted to say uh, thank you to Luke for uh, sharing this morning. Luke did that this morning, and we'll be doing that again next Sunday. And the reason is, um, typically, we do not um, have that much time, kind of pre-time, put into preparing you for a Shalom Sunday. Uh, but we recognize that the Shalom Sunday this month might be a little bit different. Um, we are uh, learning about how we can be a blessing and, and serve um, you know, Afghan refugees who are coming uh, to Joplin, and we recognize that that might seem like a strange thing for especially some of us who maybe most of our life, uh, we're talking about a place that we've been at war with and have, have heard, you know, that there's been an association when we hear that term. So we want to set up theologically uh, why this is something we want to invest in. And then we're going to, you know, on that day, we're going to receive some training and learn about what that would mean. And then we will talk as a church about whether or not that's something we want to commit to, but we want to make sure you're well-resourced in that regard. And so thanks again, Luke, for helping uh, us with that this morning. As we enter into our sermon time, uh, we're continuing our catechism series, which will be in this week and next week. And then at that point, uh, as we go into November, we'll start kind of some pre-advent and Lil Sprouts will continue with catechism, but we'll go a different direction. Uh, but for this week and next week, we're going to continue to walk through these catechism questions. Today, that being, how can we glorify God? And so this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the law. Um, we're going to be talking about the law of God this week in a very general way, um, looking broadly at how it is we glorify God. And then next week in a very specific way as we walk through the Ten Commandments. This uh, morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 11. And uh, specifically, uh, spending some time in verse 1 and walking through the first few verses. And so I want to um, pray for our time, and then I want to give you just a little bit of context uh, of Deuteronomy itself. Lord, thank you uh, for this day that we could come together and um, we could um, just posture ourselves um, to acknowledge uh, our dependence on your word. Uh, we are dependent on you we are certainly dependent on the word you've given us. Lord, we are prone 
um, to want to do our own thing and go our own way. And uh, we invite your loving correction through the power of your word. Um, Lord, would your word be our, our guide and would we glorify you as we live in accordance to it? We ask um, that you would spark that in us, even this morning, Holy Spirit. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning, again, we're in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. And so the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible. And in Jesus' day, for much of history, this was the Bible, these first five books. And the book of Deuteronomy, it contains Moses' last three sermons and two prophetic poems about Israel's future. Reflecting on the nation's past mistakes, Moses urges the people not to repeat those errors as they prepare to enter the promised land. Moses is nearing the end of his life at this point in Deuteronomy. It's been roughly 40 years since God gave him the law of Mount Sinai. And when within this set of sermons, Moses is appealing to the people of God to be co- faithful to the covenant law that was given to them. And 40 years later, they've strayed far from. Deuteronomy, 10's, Deuteronomy 10 ends with Moses warning the people of God that obedience to his law would be critical to prospering in the new land that God was leading them to. And in Deuteronomy 11, he continues that message, but he pivots to using Egypt as an example of the alternative. He wants the people of God to understand the fate of those who reject him. Now, as we saw last week, God will not, cannot share his glory, for it belongs to him and him alone. Yet even Christians are prone continually to give glory to the ones other than the one to whom it belongs. And this is why Moses is pleading with the people of God to please listen to the Lord and obey his commands and depend on him. This uh, is a continual plea throughout scripture. I recently saw a meme I'm not prone to share memes uh, as a sermon illustration, but this is some pretty spot-on commentary. This meme pointed out that in the New Testament, Paul seems to always be writing one of two kinds of correspondence to the local church. His letter, the summary of his letter is either A, we are heirs through unfathomable grace to an unimaginable glory, or it's B, I am as a personal favor begging you freaks to act normal for like five minutes. Paul's always, like that's always, it's one or the other all the time. And in Deuteronomy 11, Moses is making this second kind of appeal to the people of God, like please get it together. And he's making this appeal, not on the basis of what their ability is, but on the basis of God's righteousness and justice, the glory that belongs to him. And so we'll start in verse one. You shall therefore... Love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. In this powerful verse, Moses gives the people of God two things that are necessary to live a life of joy and faithfulness in the country of God to which they belong. He says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God. Everything starts here. None of the words that come after have any meaning if they do not come from this place. The primary difference between religious people and gospel people is a love for the Lord, for the believer. There's nothing more worthy of our pursuit in the entire world than seeking a deeper lover than the Lord. Seeking a deeper love for the Lord 
is our primary pursuit in all things. Now, this can be a struggle when we confuse love as revealed in Scripture with the world's versions of love. Okay, like the Bible is not insinuating that you and God hold hands as you listen to Dave Matthews songs at the roller rink. Like that's not the kind of love that's being talked about here. There's nothing wrong with that if that's your jam, okay? But if junior high taught us anything, it's that that kind of love doesn't last long. It's fleeting. It's something you feel over and over again, but it's not lasting. Scripture is full of examples, though, of that kind of, 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 of emotional highs that come from experiencing God. Like, that's a real thing when we experience the living God. But Scripture is equally full of moments where pe- the, the people of God don't feel they can take another step, where the follower of Christ despairs of life itself. And on those days, feelings won't do. Like maybe they can't even be felt. Maybe they're, you know, the, the, on those days, we can often feel numb to even our affections. And it can be hard to conjure up that which uh, we, we once, we, we have fond memories of. And on that day, the reality that love is a verb becomes increasingly true. Okay, this is much like in marriage. Some days, marriage is just the ultimate high. Like it's just clear, like things are great. You experience, you know, a great memory together. Things are as absolutely as they can be and it's like you're walking in in your favorite rom-com, okay? But on other days, on the dark days, on the hard days, marriage simply becomes, I'm not leaving. Like, (laughs) maybe we don't like each other today, but we're not going anywhere because we love each other. Love is the covenant that we hold to. Because Jesus never left us. Real love is a feeling, certainly, but it is a verb. It is love that has legs that is also an action. And Moses is teaching the people of God this truth when he instructs them, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments. Love the Lord your God and follow forth with the action of love. For the redeemed, Salvation is not a verb. Salvation is not something we do. Salvation is something God did. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to live a perfect life and to die a brutal death so that there would no longer be condemnation for those who are his, but everlasting joy in Jesus. That is not something you do. That is something God did for you. Salvation is not a verb. When the Lord rescues you, he regenerates you, though. Wayne Grudem on the term regeneration, he defines it like this. Regeneration is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. This work of God, the work of regeneration, what he does when he captivates you with the truth of who he is was prophesied of by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. Ezekiel says, a new, the Lord says through Ezekiel, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out your flesh, the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. So long ago, through the prophet Ezekiel, God speaks of what it is he's going to do in his people 
through Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm gonna give you a new heart and a new spirit. That the heart of flesh, that the heart of stone that you currently have as you were born children of wrath is gonna be replaced with a heart that's able to feel what God feels, see what God sees, not on the same level, but in a way through the new spirit that God says he will put in you. That God no longer dwells in the temple, but he chooses to dwell in those whom he has given this redeemed heart. And he says, I will put this spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. That the hard heart you had before wants nothing to do with the ways of God and your natural tendency is to reject those things. But he's saying through the prophet Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a heart that it will still struggle with the ways that were, but it is going to enable you to obey my commands and walk in the way that I have told you to. This work of regeneration entails a new heart and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Faith is evidence of a love that this new heart has for the Creator. That this new heart you've been given is able to love the Lord, the one who knit you together. And the evidence of that, the evidence of that faith is that it causes you to walk in God's statutes and to be careful to absorb observe his ordinances or to keep his commandments. James reiterates Ezekiel's message when he writes this in James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is not saying that the Christian must have faith plus works. You are saved by faith and faith alone. Salvation is not a verb other than the, that which God did. It is not a verb on your part and that it is not something you did, but something the Lord did. So that's not what James is saying. What he is saying is that faith and works are package deal. Like they're the same. That if you think you have faith, but that faith bears no fruit whatsoever, it's not actually faith. And in that way, it doesn't bring glory to God. Like if you have a tree in your backyard and you tell everybody it's an apple tree, well, I mean, it's kind of obvious whether it's an apple tree or not. Do apples come off of it? If apples don't come off of it, well, it's not actually an apple tree. Like it doesn't matter what you call it. And that's James' point here. James is not advocating that salvation is this dual effort between you and God. He's advocating for you know what God has done in you on the basis of does it produce fruit? Like this kind of salvation that was prophesied of by Ezekiel, like God promises all the way back then, it will lead you to follow God's commands and to walk in accordance with who he is. Like it, it, it propels you to do that. It enables you to do that and will cause you to. James, Ezekiel, Moses, they desire the same thing. To see God glorified through faith that is proven by obedience to God's word. Jeff quoted John Piper in his benediction last week when he said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And when we are satisfied in him, we listen to him. And we base our lives around his word because the alternative is always destruction 
And that's the bit, that is the appeal that Paul, that Moses is making to the church in verses two through seven, which I'll, I'll read again. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. He says, I'm not speaking to children. Moses is not talking to a people who are unaware of what God has done. That's what he's saying. I'm not talking to children. I'm not talking to people that have no experience with that. I'm talking to people who have seen that. Like you know what took place. They have seen God's faithfulness and they've seen his judgment. They have seen the destruction that takes place in the lives of those who oppose God. And they have seen the faithfulness and loving kindness that God shows to those who depend on him. Moses is saying, do not forget who God is and what he has done. The truth is, it is a blessing to be able to remember the destruction of sin. Like, when I meet someone who was rescued, or maybe they, they came to understand the gospel later in life, after having a past, after having a history, they, often there can be a bit of a, of a jealousy between that person and the one who was maybe rescued at a very young age and who, who never knew such thing. You know, they could feel like, man, I, I wish I had that testimony of that person who never screwed up, of that person who never experienced those kind of things. But the truth is, what Moses is saying here to the people of God, like, I, I believe this is a message worthy, for, to, a worthy takeaway from Moses' word to the people of God, is it is a blessing to be able to remember the destruction that was when you were not walking in accordance with who God is. Like that is a needed message. That is a needed truth for the church because you are more, more prone to understand what grace God has shown. Like how big God's grace is and that he redeemed you, that he brought you out of that which entangled you. This is why God is so intentional, even with those whom he brought to the forefront in Scripture. This is why the disciples were grown men with real pasts who had made really, really, really stupid mistakes repeatedly. Because when they were, ca they were captivated by who Christ is and the grace that he's shown them, it was evident of their captivation because they, they, had, they had had a past before. They had been rescued from something. Last week we looked at John 8. And Lord, the Lord rescues, like he, he acknowledges, he, re, he redeems the woman caught in adultery. And for the rest of her days, she would surely have bouts with guilt for that which she had done. But how much more has God set her up to understand grace because of that which he rescued her from? Moses is saying, do not forget who God is and what he's done. For your eyes have seen all the works of the Lord that he did. May, while your eyes may not have seen all that God did in the past, you do know what God has done because of his word. And you have seen all that God has done in you. When you wake up each day, Christian, remember the great work of the Lord, in verses 8 and 9, 
You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I commanded you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember what the Lord has done. Moses is encouraging these people to remember their history, that it might motivate them to stay faithful as they entered the promised land. Remembering the history was important for them to this reason, and reading it to you today is important for the same reason. Like, this is why you need God's word in your life, that you might remember that from which you came that you have a personal testimony, and remembering your personal testimony is important. But you don't just have a personal testimony that's taken place over the span of your life. You have a redemptive historical testimony that you are not just an island apart of your own, but you've been made a people. That everything that Moses is reminding the people of God that God had done from them, from swallowing up the Egyptians, from making a way for them in the desert, he didn't just do that for them, he did that for you. Like knowing you were one of Abraham's children, this, was, this is your history. This is what God was doing for you even then, long before you came to be. And when we consider the history of God, when we consider the people of God here in Deuteronomy, We've been given a distinct privilege that they were not given. Not only, like, he's encouraging them to remember what God has done, which was a relatively short span of history. You have something that they did not. You know the works of Jesus. Moses is speaking to people that don't even know about. Like, they don't, they don't know what God's plan is. They don't know how redemptive history is going to develop. They know, they have this promise of a redeemer, but they have no idea the magnitude of how that would play out. And you've been given this gift that you might walk in accordance with the ways of God. Psalm 19, 9 through 16, the psalmist um, sings of this law, of the commands that, the God, that God has given us. And he says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all of the rules of your mouth. In the ways of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. And I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This morning, I just, I wanna, I just want to encourage you to remember that from which you came. The Lord has given us. He has given us his word to guide our steps and to base our lives around. As a loving father who desires good for his children, he has given us that which we need to have joy and promise in the country of death that we currently live in while we await the great promised land we will enter into. As a, as a father gives his children instruction for their good, so much more has our perfect father given us perfect instruction for our good as he prepares us for that day. The law is no longer our, it is not our basis for sanctification personally, 
but it is that which prepares us for the day which we will enter into. But even more importantly than that, walking in accordance to his words is the way in which we glorify God with our lives by living in submission to him. The law was perfectly completed through Christ, which is our, why we have salvation, but it still has relevance for us today and that submitting to God's word is the way in which we glorify him with our lives. Trials will come, make no mistake, for every one of us, dark times are ahead. But God's faithfulness is the means through which scripture tells us here, you may be strong and able to endure. And grace is the means by which you return to him, even when you have fall sh fallen short time and time again. As we close this morning, I just want to reflect on, for just a moment, the question and answer for today. How do we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him. That our Father is not simply distant from us, but yet, he, as the psalmist sings in 119, his word is to, to be a delight to our hearts. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Teach me your statutes. and the way of your testimonies, I delight that as we grow in our knowledge of God's love for us and who he is and the intent of his very heart, we come to not only learn from God's word, but to enjoy the presence of the Father as we enter into it enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, his commands, and his law. This morning, as I uh, wanted to share my time with Luke a little bit, um, I just want to simply um, encourage you to that end. Um, would we be a people who glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and by obeying his will, his commands, and his law? Would, we, would you pray with me to that end this morning? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us. Thank you for giving us your word, giving us... Uh, Words by which we can, we can base our lives. Words by which you rescue uh, those who are lost. Lord, would we uh, be a people who cling to your word? Uh, would we be a people who delight in your law? Lord, as we consider um, the instruction that uh, you have provided us, would we come to a place of delighting in such instruction? Lord, I, I recognize fully this morning that the ability uh, to do such a thing, the ability to live such a way, comes from a genuine love for you. Lord, I ask uh, that we might be a people who love you. Not just, um, not in a, an emotional high sort of way, not that we would merely have affections for you, but Lord, would we love you deeply? God, I recognize, acknowledge that the ability to love you is something you do. That you uh, open our eyes to an unimaginable glory that is absent from us apart from your goodwill. Lord, I ask um, that you might do that uh, in the hearts of any 
whose eyes have not been opened to who you are. Lord, allow us to see. Allow us um, to get a glimmer of that which our heart was created for. And would we, uh, would, that, would the results of that be a life uh, proven uh, through obedience uh, to your good word? Help us to be a Bible people, a gospel people, whose lives reflect the truth of what we believe and whose obedience is a testimony to the work that you have done. Lord, would you receive all the glory as that comes uh, to be fulfilled? I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.